0: i was angry about a lot of things and and Mm -hmm. i said i ain't gonna follow the rules anymore and i'm gonna do whatever the hell i want to do and and that's what i did (laughs) yeah Uh, and so now my community still believed in me And my community when i say my community i'm talking about like the teachers not all the teachers but some of the teachers at school my coaches my family some of the neighbors like my community Never gave up on me. Yep. Um,
1: mm-hmm.
0: And that's an important thing because had they get, I gave them every damn reason to give up on me. And they never did.
1: When we were little, we used to go and visit my mum's brother. Her twin, actually. At the time, it felt like hours away. Although probably only about a 30-40 minute drive. The neighbourhood was very different to what we were used to. And I think that put my mum on a little bit of edge. There were perhaps even moments where she would lock all the car doors (laughs) or just definitely be very nervous about driving through the streets with a very different atmosphere. Abandoned cars, burnt out properties, I can't remember exactly what it would have been like but I certainly can remember what my mother was feeling, directly or indirectly. There's a lot of comfort we get in being surrounded by our familiarities and our home and today's guest really does explore the different dimensions of that what it means both as a child and an adult, and how he is really breaking up with a neighbourhood cycle in order to prosper himself. I'm Linda Bonney, and this is Stories with a Sunday Roast. Jesse Hernandez, welcome to the community. Thank you so much for joining us. I know that recently you've had the advantage of purchasing your own house, your very own street. So let's start there because okay. that's something I feel like I can only dream of with the current price of oh. everything, inflation and all the things. I don't quite know how that's going to happen for me yet. And I actually purchased my first house at 18, dollars $60,000.
0: Mm. Oh my God, yes.
1: <laughs> so, <laughs> crazy crazy to think and that's probably worth close to 600 now my yeah
0: yes that's great
1: yep so that was a failed relationship which I'm sure you're well aware of um and all that sort of stuff but it was certainly a very big learning experience for me so let's start with your most recent purchase where is that what does that look like how does that feel all the things tell me yeah so the most
0: recent purchase is um like half a mile from where my old house is right Gosh. down the road
1: <laughs> and whereabouts in the states because my american geography is ah yes it's not great
0: <laughs> very good so san antonio texas so you uh-huh. think of the united states and then there's texas and then kind of zooming kind of close to the center there, San Antonio is where I live. And that's where all the, the property at. So here's the fun part is the part of town that I own the, these houses, it's the neighborhood that I grew up in. So it's the south side of San Antonio. Wow. Now, if you look at, there's a, there's a story there. But anyways, my house, the, the older home and the lot are between the San Antonio river, which is like a big giant attraction. And when I say between, it's like a block away. It's Within a block, I'm on the river. And another block away from the mission Concepcion, which is one of the historic missions. I mean, if anyone's ever heard of the Alamo, it's not the only mission, it's just the last mission headed north. Um, There's several missions along that trail, along the river. And so one of those is Mission Concepcion, and my house is like my property's right between the two, between the river, between the mission. And so now it's that area is a historic district; it's a national landmark, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, that's wow. Kind of
1: okay, so you grew up only a stone's throw away from where you've ended up now.
0: Oh yes, yes. So yes, that's a hundred percent the case now when growing up the neighborhood it was not it was not a neighborhood people went to by choice it was it was uh. a rough pretty rough neighborhood i mean like for real there's a park right like right down the road and i remember when we were kids mom wouldn't let us she didn't want us to go play at the park unless we were there because she was concerned about needles in the sand like needles oh, wow. from yeah yeah from like drug usage yeah uh, and okay. that was the neighborhood it was people did not come to the neighborhood except for us right because that's where we grew up i have a friend who was in prison i don't know for 15 plus years when i moved into the house i was working on the yard or something and he was driving around he just got out you know getting the old neighborhood and we've seen each other i was like man i hadn't seen him in such a long time now He's not the only friend of mine from that neighborhood that was that ended up in prison or, or killed. He's just one of the few that I got to connect with after he got out of prison. Um, right. And he's like, Jesse, what's going on? There's like Lexuses and fancy cars parked at the at the park. And there's people, what do you say? There's people are like bikes on their cars. I'm like, what's wrong with this? I'm like, dude, you need to go to the river because the river, like the trails, they've made a huge investment. And we have like uh, this bike share program, right, where you can rent bikes and hook them up. to. He's like, like, how long has that thing been there? I said, I don't know, a year or two. He's like, nobody steals them? I said, no, man, like the the neighborhoods change, brother, because back when (laughs) we were kids, it was like... do not leave anything in your car, especially a bike attached to the back of it. Mm. Uh, so it was interesting cuz he's like, "Dude, what happened to the neighborhood?" <laughs> kind <Yeah>. of.
1: <laughs> what <laughs> like did again. happen? Like what <laughs> what shifted? Was that a gradual over time or was mm. there what, what no, do you think like, actually changed?
0: The city started like made a gigantic investment in the re- but just the river like specifically. So the San Antonio River, people, it's a very popular attraction. Now there's a very short segment of it, or used to be a very short segment of it, that ran through like downtown San Antonio, where hotels and restaurants and mall, like all the stuff was built around that portion of the river. Mm-hmm. Now once you got to like Commerce Street, it was all residential. And so there was another couple stretches of a uh, couple miles on along that road that were it's the King Williams area which is super, super fancy, super crazy, expensive homes. Now I shouldn't say crazy expensive. They're very expensive, but they're big, giant, beautiful, um, palatial type homes, right? Uh, c- big giant columns and all this stuff. And all of a sudden, like there's, that's kind of where the divide, it's almost Alamo street. That's kind of where the divide is where you got this very high valued property and then on the other side of that street, it's adult, like small little baby houses, shotgun homes, tight, you know, real pack, different socioeconomic status of the folks that live on that side of town. And that part of the river was just a river. Like, mm-hmm. you, I mean, you just think uh, with riverbanks that you really can't access because that section is had been um, adjusted by the Army Corps of Engineers. It was very steep couldn't access it, blah, blah, blah. Now, what one of the significant things that happened was the city said, we're going to extend the trails. We, we had a big, giant initiative to get healthier. And right. so it was to extend the San Antonio River all the way down to Mission Espada, which is the furthest mission south of downtown, which was another 16 miles of river trail. So they did that again when we when the Mission Concepcion got the um, national uh, monument status, there was a huge investment put on the road. that's called Mission Road that kind of connect the street you know, as you could drive down, upgraded the street, like put a whole bunch of money in there, revitalized all the parks. Like they started making those investments and that's what made the shift. Like yeah. along that time, people started getting more comfortable coming down to my. Now there was a reason, un, except for buying drugs, to come to my neighborhood. Right. <laughs> like yeah. To come <laughs> exercise, take the family and walk, <laughs> and you know,
1: and not find needles in the, in the stack. exactly exactly. <laughs> Do you think as that started to shift, that people then started? moving out, moving in, I'm I'm interested in some of the dynamics of the shifts in both, you know, family dynamics and actual people who are moving in and out of the suburb itself and whether there were people, you know, as a child, did you desire to move away from the area that you lived in because of some of the surroundings and now you've ended up back there, which is ironic in itself. But do you think there were people similar in your situation who felt like they wanted to move as far away as they could or other people who felt like they were sort of stuck there because their parents, 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 grandparents, pet fish has lived there for 60 years and they can't actually see a whole world outside their own front door? Yeah, tell me a little bit about that.
0: Yes, beautiful question. I'll say my experience with me and my friends, you know, what I got from my mom was do good in school, go to college so you can make money, so you can leave. Yeah. Um, (laughs) That's an interesting
1: concept as a child that your parents (laughs) want you to leave. (laughs) Like Mm -hmm. We we don't
0: want you to be here anymore. Leave. Yes. Yeah. Quite confusing. <laughs> totally, and so the adult, like my uncles and you know family members, and, and like the neighborhood friends. Like when I say the neighborhood friends, I'm talking about the older men in the neighborhood. They were my uncles, my dad's friends. And I was an athlete in high school, so they were always like, "Mijo, you got a mijo's like son in Spanish. Mijo, uh-huh. you got to do, you got to do good. You got to get out of here. Like you don't want to be here. This is a bad place for you." And these yeah. these, these sorts of things. Um, Cause the neighborhood was rough. Now what I remember thinking was like, what's wrong with, I, this is my neighborhood, this is my neighborhood. These are my people. <laughs> like I, I, now I understand that it's different, right? I understand that there's hazards and risks here that could suck me in and lock me down. But I didn't, understand it as bad. I don't know how much sense that makes, but for me it was yeah. home. It's just yes, what you what you knew. What you it was okay. Um mm, I mean mm. it wasn't okay. I didn't feel like I needed to leave. Anyhow. Okay. Yeah. Um but most of the people my friends I guess that went to school with super we were all super smart kids. They got educated and they left. They moved out of the neighborhood. Now When you pointed out, like in my neighborhood, most of the people that live in those houses are third or fourth generation living in that home, Uh which is it's funny because like my like it's a small neighborhood, very old homes, very unlike. Like my house, the house that I was living in is a dilapidated house. Like it is <laughs> bad, bad because I'm lazy and it's like I'm I'm okay with discomfort. Now I say that, but the long term plan, I bought this house so that I could renovate my old house and help improve the neighborhood, or at least improve the house, fulfill my responsibility. Now. What has happened because of the change? Like now, the, there's a lot of investment and in, uh, development in the neighborhoods. There are new people coming into the neighborhood, mm. but there are very few. Like there's some that are renters, which is a you know a small number. There's some that have bought the homes. When I say small number, I'm talking like three in wow. a, like like if you think of just two blocks of, of homes. A lot of investors and developers and home flippers are trying to buy these houses because the property value, like you mentioned, your home, right? 60, but now it's crazy, 600. Same things happening in this neighborhood because mm-hmm. of all the investment that's gone on mm-hmm. and the infrastructure and surrounding areas. The property values are like <clears throat> going crazy. Yeah. And really is. like our neighborhood, like all the neighbors, we're like, no, nobody wants to sell. Like, get out of here. We're at. Just, no, leave us alone. Yeah, Yeah, it's Um,
1: interesting because when you were talking about that, I was thinking that people coming in would probably have quite a hard time fitting into a community where it is third, fourth, fifth generation living in a house and maybe be not consciously but subconsciously seen as a bit of a threat coming into a community which has been around for quite some time and gone through some pretty rough stuff maybe at as well. So it's yes. fascinating human it's, it, behavior. It's def-
0: yes, it's <laughs> definitely like for people to buy in the neighborhood and move into the neighborhood, they've got to have a vision mm-hmm. and a high tolerance um tr- uh, to trust because at first glance, it's a low trust environment. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. But once you, I mean, again, like I've grown up there, I know. Yeah, it's my area. It's home. Like mm-hmm. the house that I just bought, it's not it's not it's a half a mile down from my original house. Same type of thing, right? It's a little rough, it's a little but it's it's my neighborhood. Nobody else would have bought it. Or they was on the market for like a year. And that's why. Because
1: mm-hmm.
0: because of the the neighborhood, maybe the reputation the neighborhood has, the the surrounding Things are a little scary. And I'm like, yeah, this is, man, this is better. Like, this house is nice. This house needs some work. <laughs> um, now, me staying in the neighborhood is a conscious decision. Uh-huh. Uh, Tell me why. I, so when I was growing up, we gang, we were, in, I was in a gang with my friends, right? Or maybe a couple of gangs. And I did a lot of things that I'm glad I didn't get caught doing, because I would have been in, maybe not in prison, but in jail with my friends for these things. And so I spent probably my teenage years uh, being a debit on my community. Like, uh. I was not helping. I was not contributing. I was a taker. Mm. Um, you probably didn't
1: the, realize that you weren't contributing at the time, though.
0: I was angry. I was it was on purpose. Mm. <laughs> mm. I was angry about a lot of things and and mm. I said I ain't going to follow the rules anymore and I'm going to do whatever the hell I want to do and and that's what I did.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh,
0: and so the now my community still believed in me. And my community, when I say my community, I'm talking about like the teachers, not all the teachers, but some of the teachers at school, my coaches, my family, some of the neighbors, like my community never gave up on me. Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's an important thing because had they get, (laughs) I gave them every damn reason to give up on me and they never did. And because of that, I am indebted to my community. Uh, like, how do I ever pay that back? One. Two, the other part, you know, one of the problems I see is because the, the thinking is, yes, you're, you're from this neighborhood, but you need to go get educated so you can make more money so you can move from the neighborhood. Well, what that ends up creating is this vacuum of yes. people with yeah. these types of habits
1: mm-hmm.
0: for the next generation of kids, right? So totally. there's, a, there's a certain <laughs> it's a group cycle of people, the mm. total cycle. Right. Mm. And so my commitment was I'm going to stay in my neighborhood so that I can be some sort of frame of reference for these younger kids to see a different way and be yeah. from the neighborhood. Um, so that's why I choose to stay in the neighborhood. The other reason is because the, the one house, I already own it so and I'm cheap, so I don't have to pay any rent. That's cool.
1: <laughs> that's a very big incentive as well If mm-hmm. a lot mm-hmm. of people. So I'm interested in something you were just talking about where you had people surrounding you in your neighborhood and community and street essentially
0: mm-hmm. who
1: didn't give up on you. What Characteristics, or what do you think it involves for someone to be that headstrong essentially? Because it is a bit of a headstrong
0: I to think. not give up on somebody,
1: yeah. To, to have that characteristic of not giving up on somebody, not everybody has that, believe mm. it or not. <laughs> not everybody, like to maybe to, to some people, it comes quite naturally to a parent, you don't need never give up on your kids, but to have other people who may not be so closely associated with you, like family, to then not give up on you? What what do you think is underlying all of that? And what did that do for you?
0: Oh, man, this is a tough question. Um, what I really think it was, because I could see it in some of the, I mean, Mr. Park. So Mr. Park was the, there's a gas station or a service station at the end of the block, right, a little convenience store. And he uh-huh. owned it a Vietnamese man and his family, like they had a home down the na- down the block there in the neighborhood. Um, super awesome. Uh, but he would always like, cause we were always in the store and I worked there for a little bit. I think it was like my first job. I worked there for a few weeks loading the coolers with beer. Uh, so he would always, he was very polite and very direct. It wasn't like a big, very intimate relationship. But when I made the shift to, to be, to be in trouble, I dressed differently and I spoke differently and I acted differently and he saw it and he would call me on it and remind me of things and remind me of my uncles and remind me of people. So there's a family in the neighborhood, the Falcons, their last name is Falcon, but we call them Falcones. Um, Same thing. Uh, They're, they were, a couple of them were Vietnam veterans. And they would say, like, "Mijo, like, you, you don't want, you don't want this life, like,
1: mm-hmm. you
0: you think you mm-hmm. do, you mm-hmm. do not want this." And and so they, like, they would just do that, and it wasn't like a punitive interaction. It was, it came from a very caring space. And I think, I think the reason they had that compulsion to say no is because. They recognized something in me that they gave away in themselves.
1: Mm, I wrong. think they mm-hmm. saw
0: like, ooh, that. Well, just, we'll call it innocence. They saw some innocence and some aptitude that everybody has. Yeah. And I think they, because they know they've walked the path, and now I, I know too, because I've done dumb things. Um, <laughs> they know that. Once you lose that innocence,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you're never the same again. Never, uh-huh. you can't go back.
1: <laughs>
0: and and so that's what I think they saw was they could see that I still had the innocence, mm-hmm. um, and they were you know trying to help me understand that so that I wouldn't lose it because once you lose it, then it really is a choice. Yeah. To like. This is the life I'm going to live, or not. And it's easier to live the life of consumption and and taking. But again, because even though I continued and and kept doing dumb, you know, silly things or un- irresponsible things, they still didn't give up on me. And, and their their the advice that they gave me and the the looks in their eyes of of them saying, "What are you doing?" Like you you were playing baseball, like how does this, what you're doing here align with baseball? Like Jesse, what do you, you know, it was, it was always that. Like, what do you <laughs> like? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm fine. I'm fine. <laughs> but it was, it was a lot of that, that I said, man, like, this is crazy. Um, I got to get it together. Really what happened was it got to a point of me living the mischievous life that it was boring in such that it was just the same thing every day, every day, every night. like, Okay. So we're going to drink, we're going to smoke, we're going to cause some problems. We're going to walk the streets, you know, whatever it was. Um, and I'm like, this is not, I don't want to do this forever. Like this was fun, but when do we do more stuff? That was it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I said, okay, I, I have to stop this. And I stopped and I was lucky in that I did it early enough. Like this all happened between my eighth my eighth grade year and my freshman year. By the time I was a sophomore like okay, got it up. Like I ain't doing that stuff no more. Let's go mm. let's go focus and do things.
1: Yeah. Not everybody quite has that ability though and I think while well, you found it quite monotonous to do the same thing every day, there are some people who find some comfort in that as well, especially if they have had some disruption and upheaval perhaps growing up in different ways. So it's I feel like there's two ends of the pendulum (laughs) and you can easily swing either way as well.
0: Yes, yes. I remember a buddy of mine, a really good friend. So there's a group of friends of us. We all went, we're still connected to this day. And we Mm. started, we met each other in sixth grade. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) yeah. yeah. And we're still, you know, we're still really, really connected. Um, Now we all kind of, we all came from the same background. Like our socioeconomic status was the same, meaning we were poor. We didn't have, like our families didn't have money most of like 98% of us, it was single family house or single head of house, like single moms. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we had these kind of demographics. That's why we were in this, like we got selected because of those things to be in this school. So what we did was we were always spending the night at each other's houses. And so we got to experience different neighborhoods and different parts of town. And so that was, you know, I think that's also a contributor to it.
1: That would be a, um, a big contributor, I, I think, definitely. I, as as
0: young kids, like, oh, we're going to go to Diego's house. We're going to go to Andy's house. We're going to go to Greg's house. And we, that's just what we did. So that helped, because having a different experience in different homes and, like, specifically Greg's mom and Diego's mom, they had a huge, huge impact on my life. And that mm. the way they treated me and the way they said, mijo, what are you doing? I mean, this is a true story. So there was one summer. It was a summer between my eighth and ninth grade year. I was hanging around with people that were my friend, a different friend, ended up in prison, not ended up, earned his way to prison. He took somebody's life. The, the That weekend that he did that, my friend Diego's mom, they knew what I was involved with. And they said, Diego's mom said, Jesse should come spend a week with us over the summer to kind of get me out. I thought that we were just going to go hang out. He lived near one of like the newest malls. So I was like, yeah, we'll go hang out at the mall. That'll be cool. Um, but no, his mom had a different plan. His mom was like, we need to get Jesse out of that environment for a few days to like, help him get his head clear. Yeah. It was kind of a big deal. My mom wasn't happy about it, but I went and spent like the whole week with Diego's and his family. That very weekend my friend took somebody's life and 100%, I am 100% tr- like convinced that had I not been at Diego's mom's house, I would have been with that friend of mine and I would be in prison for murder or uh association or whatever the conviction would have been wow Um, so yeah so it was those types of little whispers that were happening in my life that said well maybe i should do maybe i should do something different here
1: (laughs) Mm, and they're not easy conversations to have either from even though they're only fairly short conversations in a way of, hey, I think Jess should come and stay for a couple of days and your mum putting up the resistance and all the things, those tiny little conversations or offer of support and space, hugely impactful in your whole trajectory of your life in so many Oh, days.
0: my <laughs> goodness, 100%, big, it's- big, big time
1: mind-blowing mm-hmm. absolutely mind-blowing yeah yeah what other conversations do you think you've had which have really been on more of the difficult side that you have etched into your memory as life-changing slash just really memorable within that community space
0: yeah so some of the the the, the conversations that I've had. So there's, I'll go with two.
1: Okay.
0: One's going to be, I think it's the funniest thing, but I also recognize like how serious it is. Um, One was, you know, uh, because again, I'm grateful to my community and I spend, I I make an effort to give back to my community and do that mostly through volunteering for the local school district. And uh, in one case, I we were speaking to a group of students. They were like high school students, but they were in trouble with the law. They were on probation. They had already been busted. They're on probation. You know, whatever. They're 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 like me. Exactly. They were me. <laughs> and of course, I was dressed up. I had some nice pants on and a nice iron shirt, and you know all the stuff. And <laughs> I remember one kid. And he was kind of the most I would say the most influential young man in the room, and that's the thing, right is these kids because I was there the the raw skill and talent that they have is so powerful, and they use it like brandish mm-hmm. it mm-hmm. just not for the greatest the greatest outcomes uh-huh. um, so but there's no denying it like they're not high they don't have the head garbage that says play small they're playing big just yeah. you know <laughs> in a different way <laughs> and so he's looking at me and he must be 15 years old and he's like he's straight up he tells me he says man what are you gonna do how are you gonna help me with your khakis and your fancy pants like who are you <laughs> like straight up and i'm like bro all right let's okay. talk let's talk <laughs> Uh, it's, it was just, boom, just like that. And and of course, the group was like, ha ha, like, yeah. So I was like, okay, this guy's the guy. He's He's yep. got the influence. In, in the Almost world.
1: the ringleader. Type. Yes, yes.
0: <laughs> and that's the thing, right? Because of their, I believe, living a life of nonconformity, going against the grain, challenging authority, figuring out that all of the rules that people follow don't necessarily serve you. So you've got to find your way through it. Yeah. I would tell that to an entrepreneur or anybody starting their own business.
1: Yeah, yeah. I'd tell that to my kids, all sorts of things, yeah.
0: (laughs) These kids figured that out getting in trouble and living that life. So they know what it is. Mm. It's not a concept. They're living it.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: They're totally different. definitely don't want to
1: be told that
0: Mm -mm. again. No. No, no, no. (laughs) So so we're talking, like, you know, I'm doing my thing, and finally I said, okay we challenged him a little bit. And so then he started asking me about my background. And so I started telling him, you know, I have scars. I have this beautiful scar on my arm. That's about the length of my forearm uh, from getting stabbed with a broken bottle. And, and then like, now I start getting some like, Oh, like, uh, yeah, but you know, look, yeah, look, you got a really nice job. And yeah, you got,
1: uh."
0: (laughs) Um, and, and I'm like, look, bro, the difference between me and you is you got caught. I didn't, I got lucky in that. I didn't get caught. I've done this. I've been on probation. I've been on paper. I know where to come, but you can get out. And so anyways, that kept, we kind of kept challenging. And finally it, it, it got to like a one-on-one conversation, right? Cause yeah. the other kids kind of like, oh, this is getting too serious. And I could <laughs> tell he was intrigued. That's why we were still doing the dance. Yeah. Awesome. Um, and I said, okay, man. I said, let me ask you if I can, I'm going to ask you some things. If they're for real, like if you, they sound familiar, just let me know. Okay. So I'm like, okay, have you always kind of been the smartest person in the room? Well, I don't get good grades. I said, I didn't ask you about your grades. I'm asking you about being the smartest person in the room. Like you figure things out and you understand what people are talking about before everybody else. He's like, well, yeah. I said, Mm -hmm. okay, good. Um, are you kind of always the person that people look to at, at home with your siblings, with your cousins to like, you're the responsible one. He's like, well, yeah, I hate that. I was like, I know. Good. And so I asked him a few other questions and he's like, well, yes, yes, yes. I'm like, okay. He like, what are you going to tell me to use my powers for good? I'm like, no, I'm not going to tell you that. I'm going to tell you who you are. <laughs> See, <laughs> you're in a room with 10 people. And the room is on fire. Like, yes. And you know, before everybody else knows that the room is on fire. Like, yes. I said, now one person is going to run out of the room and protect themselves. One person is going to take charge and make sure everybody's okay. And they're going to be the last person out of the room. And the other eight are going to freak out and lose their mind. He's like, yes. I said, which one, which of those are you? And he's like, whoa. And I said, okay, this is who you are right now. You're that guy that saw the flames, saw the signs, and you hauled ass out of the room and you left everybody there to burn. Yeah. And he just like, I hid, I got him, right? Like he, he uh-huh. his eyes welled up and he's like, man, I don't want to be that guy. I'm like, good, because you don't have to. Um Wow. So it's those types of, con- like, if I'm not in the neighborhood, I'm not going to be able to do that. I got to yeah. stay in the neighborhood to be able to do that. Yeah. Mm. That's potent. So here's That's another so fun good. one. This is an interesting one. So my uncle, hopefully this doesn't get me in too much trouble. He's passed now. <laughs> uh, we, can, we
1: can dub your voice if we have to.
0: <laughs> yes, yes. No, he, 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 he has passed. But he was the neighborhood heroin dealer, rather supplier, like the dealers would come to him to get the stuff. Yep. Yep. And, you know, when he was away in prison, grandma or the family would say, no, you know, he's in, he went to college. And when I was coming up, I thought he was really in college because he was always like really well dressed, had the best shoes, like slick. <laughs> he was not in college. He was in prison, you know, but it was a thing, uh, uh, denial, I guess anyhow yeah. fast forward the house that i was living in is the is in the neighborhood that my my dad like my dad's side of the family grew up in my grandmother's house is a couple blocks down the road so i'm in the neighborhood my uncle's living in my grandmother's house and he would come we would have breakfast or coffee together on the weekends uh and i would make cook some breakfast for him <laughs> what our conversations were about the struggles of a retired drug dealer. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm not kidding. <laughs> he never said that, but he would talk about how difficult life was now that people weren't catering to him. Like, because uh, of him living that life, he had a lot of power and influence. So, that was probably
1: was, a big part of his identity. 100%. What it sounds like. Oh, yeah.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, he. that's what he would talk about. Like, me, I go to the store and nobody shows me respect anymore. And I'm like, what are you talking about, respect? He means like people scared and getting out of the way and get, you know, like letting him have his way.
1: Wow. Uh, okay. Yeah, yeah. It
0: would totally, it was, it was funny. I'm like, you know, I would tell you, you know, Theo, like, you're talking like you're retired, but well, you're not retired. Like, this is what keeps you out of prison. Don't do it anymore.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you must feel quite lost in a different perspective and that's actually, yeah, it it hits a lot of nerves, I guess, for me in a different way or in a different world but also in a similar type of world at the same time because so much of my identity at the moment might be wrapped up in being mum and a lot of the time my identity was wrapped up in being the victim in the victim of domestic violence, and that was a huge part of who I was. It took me a good five, six years, really, to to sort of yep. shift a lot of that over time. So it's that identity card is powerful. Oh yeah, really powerful. <laughs> yes, yeah, and we find that in our communities and in our streets and in our homes as well, and. It's just really fascinating how we then, in a way, make comparisons to who we were, who we are, who are who we are becoming, yes. and how that then evolves into head garbage or thoughts or action or sitting there running from the fire and leaving everyone else behind, etc. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, powerful, powerful powerful they're like trying
0: because it's so easy to pick them up and put them back on again yeah Uh, yeah feels familiar yeah i find myself when i'm around i guess the fancy term now is called code switching
1: Uh
0: um but i find myself when i'm in like when i'm around the neighborhood guys like the like the ogs like the the old school dudes, right? Like my dad's generation. And we're talking, I speak a total different language with them. Mm. Um, and, and when I'm talking to like, I never see them, but people my age in the neighborhood, it's a different language. Yeah. Like with the neighborhood guys, with Uh my friends that I went to school with it, I speak this way. Um, and, and, but again, because it's like, I put that, all right, I'm with, I'm with my, elders of the neighborhood i'm going to adopt that behavior right now or i'm with the, the homies i'm gonna put this behavior on and uh, yeah fascinating go back to the image right like, because that behavior is there it's just boom, okay i need to speak this way nope i gotta do um, it
1: yeah we're gonna have to have another conversation around the different aspects and dynamics of conversations in different scenarios i think definitely yeah. Okay, yeah. I would love that because I find that very fascinating and that's going to be some of the basis guidelines structure of my um, book that I'm putting together as well at the same time. so Nice. Conversations that can, will, and do change the world.
0: Yes, I love that, 100%. Yep,
1: watch out. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, So in thinking about growing up, in you know some pretty tricky times tough times do you have some favorite sunday roast memories and growing up with family and all that sort of stuff as well
0: i do and it's um it's kind of interesting like the things that that stick right the memories Mm -hmm. so i remember uh my mom single mom she raised us me and my brother and She was working two jobs, going to night school. And so there wasn't a lot of money to, to indulge or, you know, yeah, not even indulge to just have like hearty meals. So what I remember the most is there was a time, uh, the house had been broken into, they stole all the TVs, they stole all the electronics. And so it was, you know, stuff. Mom had to do some stuff to, we had to like tighten up on the spending. And so for the whole week, we ate many variations of potatoes. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it was a combination of like potatoes, eggs, ground beef, uh, some fried bologna, and just every which way mom could make that a delicious meal to get through the week until she got the next paycheck or whatever it was she was getting. It was like, I think back on, you know, she was raising us on a very, very meager income and she made it happen.
1: Very resourceful. Uh, Yeah.
0: So resourceful. And those potatoes, like they were delicious. Everything was good. And it wasn't, you know, I think now where I get super picky about meals, it's like, man, I still remember that one week when it was potatoes every single day. And it's a, it's a special memory, right? Knowing that mom was super resourceful and she did what she could with what she had. And, you know, in the moment, we didn't know that we were suffering financially. All we knew was, hey, man, this food's pretty
1: good. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, and I see that filter through to so much of what you do today though because you can really help people a become resourceful you are resourceful yourself and also that feeling of hey it's pretty good out here you know (laughs) like even though there's all this shit crap under the surface it's actually pretty good we've got potatoes that's all. <laughs> we
0: got potatoes. We got potatoes. We're going to be all right. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing. It's a really special memory in its own very, very special way because, yeah, it's amazing how much influence our street and community has both on us, but both inside and outside and, I don't think it's always consciously recognised. So, uh, yep. really, bringing all these stories to the surface is part of why we're here and part of what we're doing. Beautiful, love mm. it. Thank
0: no? you for the for the opera, and for the beautiful questions. Really, thank you for yeah. those questions. Oh, you yes, got... I
1: could ask questions all day. <laughs> yes,
0: yes. There's some memories there that I hadn't hadn't spent time with in a long time, so I'm grateful for that.
1: Yeah, that's exactly a big part of the purpose of why I'm here. So that's very humbling to hear and appreciate the opportunity in return. Yes, Mm ma'am. What did you think of, Jesse? Gosh, I don't know about you, but I want to go and just have a potato or two. (laughs) As well as the... Oh, absolute impact it has in breaking some of those cycles. This story again is quite close to my heart, and I feel very honoured to be able to share his story because well, it's only the beginning of the wonderful, wonderful human that sits alongside. Another wonderful human is Denise Malay. Can you imagine getting to a point where your body literally needed you to sleep for a whole year? That's what happened to Denise. She shares this alongside many nostalgic and wonderful inspirational stories in her episode Rinse, Lather, Sleep, Repeat. <laughs> Take a listen. But it was really an existence of, you know, you you go to school, you go to church, you do your homework, you do your chores, lather, rinse, repeat. You know, that was your day. Mm -hmm. And there wasn't a lot of resources to really uh, expand on that or or make it a a super enriched existence. It was just really a a cycle. And, Mm -hmm. um, yeah. To hear more about current projects and the book, I invite you to head over to lindabonnie.com. I gladly welcome you to the community. Thank you so much for joining us.